Good morning. Welcome to First Unitarian Universalist Church of Austin. We are a spiritual community dedicated to the free search for truth, meaning, and beauty, and all are welcome here. I want to especially welcome our visitors this morning. We're so glad you're here. We come from a long tradition that sees a spark of the divine in each person. So it's in that spirit that I invite you to greet the holy among us by turning to your left and your right and giving a rich good morning to the people around you. It's our Unitarian Universalist tradition to light a chalice to begin our services. So I'd like to invite you to read with me the words for lighting our chalice, which are printed in, the, in your order of service. In the light of truth and the warmth of love, we gather to seek, to find, and to share. Our call to worship this morning is in the form of a litany. Now let us worship together. Now let us celebrate our highest values, transcendence, to connect with wonder and awe of the unity of life, community, to connect with joy, sorrows, and service with those whose lives we touch, compassion, to treat ourselves and others with love, courage, to live lives of honesty, vulnerability, and beauty, transformation, to pursue the growth that changes our lives and heals our world. Now we raise up that which we hold as ultimate and larger than ourselves. Now we worship together. Unitarian Universalists draw from pretty much all of the world's wisdom and faith traditions. So we don't have a set of beliefs, a creed that we all have to sign on to. So sometimes people ask us, well, then what holds you together if you don't have a common set of beliefs? Well, one of the things that holds us together in this church is a common set of values. Those values you just read together with Susan and and compassion, the third of which is what we're going to be talking about today in a continuing series of sermons on those values. And out of those values, we also discerned a common purpose, our mission. We love it so much that we put it on our wall and we say it together every Sunday. We gather in community to nourish souls, transform lives, and do justice. Our reading this morning, appropriately enough, is from Martin Luther King, Where Do We Go From Here? It was delivered at the 11th Annual Southern Christian Leadership Conference Convention in Atlanta, Georgia, in August of 1967. I have also decided to stick with love, for I know that love is ultimately the only answer to mankind's problems, and I'm going to talk about it everywhere I go. I know it isn't popular to talk about it in some circles today, and I'm not talking about emotional bosh when I talk about love. I'm talking about a strong, demanding love, for I have seen too much hate. I've seen too much hate on the faces of sheriffs in the South. I've seen hate on the faces of too many Klansmen and too many white citizens' counselors in the South to want to hate myself because every time I see it, I know that it does something in their faces and their personalities. And I say to myself that hate is too great a burden to bear. 
I have decided to love. If you are seeking the highest good, I think you can find it through love. I'd like to invite you now to join me in a meditation on loving kindness. I invite you to find a comfortable position. Find that comfortable position and close your eyes. Close your eyes and simply breathe. Breathe in. Breathe out. Try to focus your awareness on your breathing flowing in and flowing out, in and out. And as you become centered in your breathing, feel the warmth and energy of those around you, breathing in and breathing out, in and out. Now still centered in your breathing, I invite you to bring into your awareness an image of yourself. Perhaps it is your whole self, or maybe it is a part of you that has been hurt and that needs healing. Breathing in and breathing out, hold yourself in your awareness and send yourself this wish. May I be well. May I experience loving kindness. May I be free from suffering. May I know joy and pure love. Breathing in, breathing out. I now invite you to bring to mind someone whom you love. This could be a spouse or partner, a child, parent, other family member, a friend or other loved one. And as you hold them in your thoughts and continue to stay centered in your breathing, join me in sending them this wish. May you be well. May you experience loving kindness. May you be free from suffering. May you know joy and pure love. Continuing your breathing now, I invite you to bring to mind someone you feel more neutral about. Maybe a coworker you haven't gotten to know very well, or a new neighbor. As you breathe in and breathe out, I invite you to visualize them and send them this wish. May you be well. May you experience loving kindness. May you be free from suffering. May you know joy and pure love. Now I invite you to bring to mind someone with whom you have difficulty. 
someone perhaps with whom you're having conflict or that you feel a need to forgive. I invite you to visualize this person and breathing in and breathing out, send them this wish. May you be well. May you experience loving kindness. May you be free from suffering. May you know joy and pure love. Still breathing together, I invite you into a moment of silence and continued meditation. When I was in high school, we read this nonfiction story written by a fellow who had served in the Vietnam War. In it, he tells of being out on patrol one night with a group of fellow soldiers far outside the perimeter and relative safety of their encampment. They were just about done with the patrol when suddenly gunfire and explosions erupted all around them and they found themselves in the middle of a firefight. He describes the sound of the rapid gunfire and the explosions as so loud and so deafening that it became almost like a form of silence. It was all that there was. In a sudden flash of bright light, he saw that one of his buddies had been hit, a friend he had known since their school days. He rushed over to him, but there was nothing that could be done. The wounds were too great. He held his friend as the life flowed out of him. He describes holding his friend while his friend died as only the first sacred moment of that evening. He didn't want to leave his friend's body there. He wanted to get his friend back to the encampment so that he could be sent home for burial. He knew the family and he couldn't bear the idea of leaving his friend's body in the jungle like that. So he picked the body up and began dragging it toward the camp, which he estimated couldn't be more than a few hundred yards away. And that's when he saw the North Vietnamese soldier staring right at him a few feet to his side, rifle raised and pointed at him. They locked eyes. He realized that holding his friend's body as he was, he was completely vulnerable. There was no way he could let go and reach for his own weapon in time. He thought he was about to die too. And then the North Vietnamese soldier looked down and saw the blood-soaked body in his arms. The writer describes being able to actually see that soldier figure out that he was trying to get his friend out of there. The North Vietnamese soldier looked him in the eyes again, but there was something different in the stare and slowly began to back away, rifle still pointed directly at them, until he disappeared into the night. The writer describes this as the second sacred moment of that night, a moment when two combatants suddenly recognized their shared fragility, that they both bled like the other, that they both grieved the death of loved ones, that they both had friendships so strong that they would risk the ultimate sacrifice for them. For one 
brief moment between two people in the middle of a firefight, a war temporarily halted through embracing shared vulnerability, shared fragility, shared humanity, and human interconnectedness. These are the roots of empathy, and empathy in action becomes compassion. So today, at a time when there seems to be so much venom and violence, both here at home in the U.S. and throughout our world lately, maybe it's appropriate that today we examine the third of our church's religious values, compassion, to treat ourselves and others with love. It's likely that empathy and compassion were necessary among early humans because our earliest ancestors needed cooperation to survive. After all, we were and still are relatively fragile creatures in comparison to, say, oh, lions, wolves, bears, or stampeding elephants. There's a theory that concepts like gods and deities were what we came up with to capture such ancient and vital values that go so deep inside of us because we don't really have words that truly and adequately can express those values. If that's true, it's important then that we pay attention to what god or gods we worship. Because if we worship, for instance, gods or deities that are angry and vengeful, then the values we may well begin to live out can too easily become bigotry, hatred, violence. So bear with me for just a bit then, because I want to examine how this value, compassion, is so integral to the very foundation of several of the world's faith and wisdom traditions. We Unitarian Universalists, after all, are a religious people who draw from all of these sources. In Islam, compassion is the most frequently occurring word in the Quran. It's rooted in the principle of the oneness or unity of all things. God, Allah, is in all and the God of all things. All but one of the chapters of the Quran begin with the, begin with the invocation in the name of God the compassionate, the merciful. The Quran also expresses a focus on acting with compassion, especially toward those who suffer injustice and poverty, just as the Bible does. Confucianism bases its ethics on five virtues, the first of which is Ren, which refers to compassion, altruism, human-heartedness. Likewise, Taoism speaks of the three treasures, once again the very first of which is compassion. Many, if not most, pagan and earth-centered traditions derive compassion from a strong sense of interconnectedness out of the sacredness of the natural world, and they've developed an ethic around doing no harm. And despite the punitive interpretations of Christianity that have sometimes been practiced, compassion has been at the core of Christianity since its earliest beginnings, too. Love your neighbor. Love your enemies. Judge not, lest ye be judged. The story of the Good Samaritan showing compassion to the stranger. These are all examples of teachings attributed to Jesus. Hindus see the sacred mystery within all human beings. Hinduism and other Eastern religions embrace ahimsa, which is love, genuine care, and compassion toward all living beings. This, for them, is a cardinal virtue 
nonviolence and doing no harm in thought, word, or deed are central to Hinduism. Now, compassion is also central within Judaism's Talmud, including a story attributed to the great sage Hillel, thought to be an older contemporary of Jesus. A non-believer, a pagan of the time, approached Hillel and promised to convert to Judaism if Hillel would recite the entirety of the Jewish scriptures while standing on one leg. Hillel responded, what is hateful to yourself, do not do to others, a sort of reverse take on the golden rule. And finally, Buddhism also holds compassion as an essential element. In the very story of Buddha, he put off his own final state of nirvana out of compassion for others so that he could stay and help others reach enlightenment. Buddhists teach compassion for the suffering of others. Their ideal of letting go of attachment to ourself can create a profound sense of interconnectedness. Scientific studies have also shown that meditation, like the loving-kindness meditation that we did earlier, can increase empathy and actually reduce racial prejudice, as well as have beneficial health benefits for those practitioners. So compassion plays a fundamental role in all of these faith traditions. Now, not to oversimplify, though, I have to also mention that the sacred text of many of these traditions also describes some very bad, very mean, and very petty behavior by both humans and their deities. And that's okay. As Unitarian Universalists who draw from all these many sources, we don't have to hold up harmful values or worship any god who's acting like a jackass. So empathy arises out of recognizing both our common human fragility and the vastness and complexity of our interconnectedness. It it allows us to engage in perspective-taking. This is the ability to relate on a deep and emotional level with what our fellow humans are experiencing. I submit, though, that empathy alone is not enough. It's a feeling. Compassion is when that feeling grows strong enough that we act on it. Compassion requires empathy in action to treat ourselves and others with love. Now, what that action can look like is very different depending on the circumstances. Sometimes it may mean just staying some with someone through a really difficult time, not trying to fix anything and just feeling the rough stuff along with them. Other times, it may mean providing some type of much-needed assistance. Yet again, it may also mean hearing someone who is hurting when they tell us they just need a little time to be left alone. Sometimes, compassion means speaking difficult truths. I think we struggle with this one in our churches sometimes. Too often I hear about congregations where we tolerate unacceptable behavior because, well, that's just how so-and-so is. The thing is, I think that that's misplaced empathy. Compassion demands having a difficult conversation with that so-and-so because not doing so harms everyone. Anxiety and resentments linger and build. And I think that in challenging situations, compassion may also require us to test the story we're telling ourselves in comparison with what other folks may be telling themselves. 
Now, here's an example of what I mean by that, taken from a composite of sorts of situations I've actually witnessed around the theistic, humanistic differences in what folks believe within our denominations. So, for example, if I'm a theist, compassion may call me at some point to say to someone, hey, you know, a few days ago when we were taking that adult spirituality class together and I was talking about how I would describe my concept of the divine and you went, the story I've been telling myself is that you think I have to be stupid to think that. And then I have to listen because their story may be, oh, no. I thought what you were saying was beautiful. What I was irritated about is that other person that was staring at their iPhone the whole time you were talking. Likewise, if I'm a humanist, I may at some point have to say to someone, hey, you know, last Sunday when that guest preacher talked all about Jesus the whole time, I went into the housing hall and I overheard you asking some people, hmm, wonder what our cranky old humanist thought about that one. And I'm a humanist, so I've been upset about that because I am not cranky or old. All right, maybe I should leave those last parts out. But again, I have to stop and listen and be willing to accept that their story may be, oh, you know, I am so sorry. I was talking with a group of my humanist friends. I consider myself humanist also, and that's kind of an inside running joke because we heard ourselves referred to that way at a General Assembly of Unitarian Universalists one time. So often the compassionate act is to let go of our glorious being offended and giving ourselves the chance to discover the very different stories Different people may be telling themselves about the same situation. And that brings me to this. Tomorrow is Martin Luther King Day, as you've heard. And I've been reading Dr. King's last book. He wrote it shortly before he was assassinated. I've been struck by how many of his themes relate to just what we're talking about today. Empathy, interdependence, compassion, love, But Dr. King also describes how after the Voting Rights Act was passed, many white folks in the U.S. began telling themselves a very different story than the lived reality of African Americans who continued to struggle for true equality. Once the extreme cruelty perpetrated on civil rights activists was no longer being displayed on their televisions, many white folks returned to the comfort of their own lives, returned to the status quo, thinking the Voting Rights Act was enough. I want to close with how this inequality continues in our time, how compassion is calling us into action in our present-day world. I was devastated when, over the holidays, a grand jury failed to indict the Cleveland, Ohio police officers who shot and killed 12-year-old Tamir Rice. This, despite the fact that there's a video showing one of the officers firing upon Tamir as soon as that officer managed to get the police car door open, despite the fact that the gun that Tamir was holding was a toy pellet gun, despite the fact that Ohio is an open carry state. If Tamir had been white, I have to wonder if he would still be alive today. I have to wonder, at the very least, if that grand jury result might have been very different. 
having followed the reports on it for several months, it seems to me at least that the prosecutor in the case gave the grand jury a story designed to get exactly this outcome. No indictment. Like with Michael Brown in Ferguson, Missouri like with John Crawford in Dayton, Ohio, like with Eric Garner in Staten Island, like so many other unarmed African Americans killed by police in 2015. A recent study found that police in the U.S. killed at least 1,152 people in 2015, and that number is probably way too low because the reporting is so shoddy. Fourteen of the largest U.S. police departments killed African Americans exclusively. Police in the U.S. are four to ten times more likely to kill black people than whites. The contrast between what happens to African Americans holding toy guns and a group of white people armed to the teeth with very real weapons who take over a federal facility in Oregon could not be more glaring. So once again, empathy alone is not enough. Compassion calls us to do more than, like me sometimes, sit at home and yell at the television news. To do more than fill out our Facebook and Twitter feeds with outrage. To do more than just talk about it here at church, though doing that is important. Compassion calls us into action because we cannot allow the gods of vengeance and oppression to rule. Because our media may well soon lose interest in these police killings, and if those of us who are white have had apathy, empathy, but no action, we risk falling right back into the status quo, just like the folks Dr. King described during his time. And yet the killings will still continue, and the racism that study after study shows is systemic within our educational structure and our immigration system, our housing system, our economic system, our voting systems, our banking systems, and on and on and on will still continue. Racism threatens to diminish that spark of the divine within all of us. Compassion and action is how we kindle it and shine it brightly so that we may all know the ultimate richness of our humanity, a richness that we, all of us, can only know when all of us are able to reach for our full human potential. Racial justice is the focus of our Unitarian Universalist Standing on the Side of Love 30 Days of Love campaign that started yesterday. Now, that's a mouthful, I know, because I just had to say it. But in the gallery after the service today, you can visit a table where some folks from our Austin area UU White Allies for Racial Equity group will be happy to find, help you find out the many different ways you can learn more and get involved. Compassion. To treat ourselves and others with love. It seems so simple yet it can be surprisingly difficult to live out. Nurtured by the wisdom of those many ancient traditions, moved into action by an ever-increasing awareness of our shared fragility and our immense interconnectedness, may compassion be the divine light we choose to spread into our world. And amen to that.
Please join me now in saying our words for extinguishing the chalice which are printed in your order of service. We extinguish this flame, but not the light of truth, the warmth of community, or the fire of commitment. These we hold in our hearts until we are together again. Go out now with hearts filled with compassion, a compassion that nourishes your soul and moves you toward action for justice. Go in peace. Go in love. May the spirit of this religious community and the bond we share be with you until next we are gathered again. This is a production of the First Unitarian Universalist Church of Austin. For more information, go to our website at www.austinuu.org.